0: Hey, everybody. Electric show today. We discuss the Ethereum pump that was seen yesterday. That was the result of institutional capital flowing in. Realistically, might've had something to do with the positive news event from the UK government, resulted in a short squeeze and saw Ethereum pump pretty hard. Nick, Kicks and Benjamin all took advantage of that. So it was fantastic. We talk about CryptoPunks and their position in the NFT market. We also talk about other potential areas of adoption similar to Reddit. You're seeing DC Comics get involved with the NFT space. So it's an exciting show overall. A lot of really good information. Nick was on fire in this show. So if you're into Nick giving you market breakdown and analysis, some gigabrain takes, this is the show for you. Shout out to our new title sponsor, So Rare. If you want to compete with me, me in so rare with managing NBA teams cuz I'm a big time basketball mind. You can sign up at the nifty.com/so rare and see if you can hang with a basketball pro like myself. Hope you enjoy the show. Good morning ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the NFT Morning Show Wednesday, October 26th. We got a lot to talk about. We run this show Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Shout out to all the West Coasters that are up early. And we talk all things NFT, Web3, crypto, technology, finance, markets. We want to hear about what's going up, what's going down. Saw a pump on Ethereum. We definitely got to talk about that. And I brought up Bouvet, who's commonly posting his technical analysis. It's going to be a lot of fun. But like Curtis Mayfield was saying, we got to get over this bear period but it sounds like it's going to last for a long time. We were talking to Elio Trades on the show that we do with him at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time, and it still feels like we're three, six, nine months away from any sort of considerable pump season. I'm your host of this show, P.O., with my co-host, Nifty Nick, the funniest and sometimes the most controversial man in the business. Sounds like Nick had a decaf this morning, so you know he's going to go crazy. Signal... One of my favorite people in the business, but more importantly, one of the most analytical NFT market participants that I know. We got Ben Jamin, my guy, uh, one of the cool... Fuck yeah, Ben!
1: (laughs) We're riding, baby. (laughs)
0: Uh, an OG board ape, an experienced collectibles trader, an internet entrepreneur for, for years at this point, uh, and just an all around good guy, a new dad. Speaking of new dads, we got uh, baby number two under Kix's belt, a r- double daddy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we got a double
0: daddy over there, a Reddit,
2: and a. Oh, uh, hey, hey Pio. Yep. It's John Bollinger. Thank you.
0: (laughs) I forgot that you're John Bollinger now uh, because of a weird... uh, A joke that 10 people understand. I going to say a weird stock trading inside joke about Bollinger brands. Did Kix just mispronounce his own last name? (laughs) Yeah, he did. mispronounced his own last name, but that's typical. If you know Kix, you know he's going to mispronounce some names. Uh, Kix is an experienced Reddit NFT trader. If uh, any Redditors are in the crowd, uh, Kix is basically your leader. You made a a big old bag off of those Reddit NFTs. Uh, Kix, one of the most technical in the space that I know of. And just it's John Bollinger. <laughs> John Bollinger. He's willing to swing the bat, which is uh, at the end of the day half the battle in the NFT space. You got to be willing to swing the bat, and no one can say that Kicks is not willing uh, to swing the bat. Easy. It's Bodega, the Solana celebrity, the founder of Bodega Buddies, the host of Solana Made Easy. Now NFTs Made Easy. A rising star on the Solana side. And in the NFT space in general, and on the content side, one of the most technical traders that I know, love easy Spencer of spent Wait, did we really rename his show? Oh, uh, we did. We did. It, it It went from Solana made easy to NFTs made easy. It did. <laughs> it did. This
3: dcash wow. really heavy, huh? When, when was that transition? Was that this weekend? It was. Peace, situation <laughs> Um. Which is throwing the towel, damn, turned it back on a community. that's that's painful. I see some tears in the audience. If, right if now. If
0: anything, I just think it's a sign that easys bigger than Solana. you know like this sh- sometimes shit is just bigger than what you initially thought it was. You know what I mean?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean that's one way to spin it uh, definitely is uh, I, I like I like that spin.
0: It's good spin. They call me the spin doctor. Speaking of spinning, Spencer's spinning the wheels of the market through his fun Spencer Ventures. Uh, Saw Spencer chopping it up with Kevin Rose. Got to love to see it. Uh, you know, going to hear... Spencer's <laughs> a rich motherfucker, yeah! <laughs> going to hear about it. Uh, he's a professional capital deployer is what he is, Nick. It's not like Spencer's just taking Spencer's money. It's it's a professional operation, Nick. That's how it goes when you run a fund. Um, I know you don't know about that, but Spencer can teach you. Um, anyway. Oh, I'm sorry. He's, he's uh, an, an investor. He's an investor. A professional gambler, if you will, because if you're an investor in the NFT space, that's what's going on. The D- deep... A satire maxi, most importantly, the Spaces host for Rolling Into Deep, the smash hit Twitter Spaces show, and a team member at the Nifty, and one of my favorite people on the planet. Love to Deep, love his takes. And last but not least, we got Bouvet, a very talented beatboxer, but more importantly for this show, a talented market Analysts love having Bouvet on the show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, before we get started, just got to shout out our title sponsor, our new uh, partner, So Rare. So Rare is a global sports game and entertainment platform that empowers fans and participants to live their passion for sports by collecting officially licensed digital player cards. You're going to start seeing me post videos of me putting together my NBA fantasy teams basically because I'm an NBA expert. I'm one of the great basketball minds out there, and I'm going to architect a championship-level team because I see the game differently. You guys are watching a game. You're eating some popcorn. You're trying to enjoy it. I'm seeing the next play. The game has slowed down for me. So I'm extremely excited to assemble a championship-level team, and I'm assuming uh, just reap all of the, uh, the success that comes along with that and maybe even go from being a Twitter Spaces host and Web3 entrepreneur to an actual GM, an actual general manager of an NBA team. Anything is possible, ladies and gentlemen. Crazier things have happened. You will see me running a team in the professional sports world. You can count on it. So sign up at thenifty.com slash so rare to get your cards, to get your shit started so that you can compete head to head with me as an NBA team manager. Uh, Easy went went to the crowd. Uh, I wanted to ask him what he thought of that because he's a big NBA guy. Nick, would you consider yourself a big time basketball mind? Uh, well, I'm a,
3: a big mind, a brilliant mind, beautiful mind as some, some call it. And uh, so it doesn't matter what sport you throw at me. I'm probably one of the leading, uh, thought I'm like a premier thought leader on all of them.
0: Oh, well that, I mean, it's, first of all, it's very impressive. Like no matter what physical, uh, you know, pursuit we throw your way, whether it's cricket from the deeps part of the world, uh, you know, whether it's football from signals part of the world or maybe uh, tennis or something else, it sounds like you can just kind of pick it apart.
3: Uh, Well, all you got to do is throw me in a um, fantasy uh, sports app and I'll work my way through it. I'll figure it out. I just look at data and uh, yeah, I don't know if you've seen Moneyball, but it's pretty much the exact same thing. I invented that pretty much Um, and so I was ahead of that. Then they adopted some of the strategies that I've been implementing. So I'm, I'm much more analytical about it. And so uh, that's why so rare or something like that is something that I'd absolutely dominate, no matter how much b- uh, basketball I watch or don't, and uh, I pretty much don't. Um, I because all that matters to me is numbers, and that's like what when I see things, when I look through my eyes, that's all that I see, anyways.
0: Well, I'm impressed. Uh, that's very very cool stuff. I'd also say that if we're talking Moneyball, you are as handsome as Brad Pitt. Uh, let me throw it a note Look, my man Node living in Utah, legendary basketball team in the nineties when Node was on the come up, Carl Malone, John Stockton, uh, you know, couldn't get through Michael Jordan, never heard of him. But Node, are you do you follow basketball? Like, are you gonna participate in so rare and lose to me in fantasy battles?
4: I'm already signed up. I got the Joker on my team, so be careful. He's uh he he always just dominates on the fantasy points. Uh and yes, I do follow basketball, although I, I vowed not to this year because of what the Jazz did. However, they came out and won their first three games. What did uh, they do? Shocked they shocked the entire world. Well, they blew up their entire team. Uh as you're as you you should be well aware, right? They traded the entire Mitchell what's that <laughs> they traded the whole roster every last one of them we did yeah the only person we kept was uh mike conley and uh you know he's getting so old that i think he just kind of walks up and down the court and and hopes that things happen okay. nick is younger than mike uh, conley yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's yeah, not go too far they're, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's a close one. But uh, yeah, I'm excited, dude. I'm excited. I, I used to do fantasy basketball, uh, big time jazz fan, which is the worst kind of fan to be. So I'll, I'll see what I can do and try and make it through the season uh, with as uh, with uh, probably the most amount of pain possible. Honestly,
3: I grew ah. up to, uh, in D.C. and that's why I moved to San Francisco was because of the sports and, and really like it was a hard it was a tough childhood Um, had nothing to do with getting beat up in school. It was way more about the fact that, like, our sports teams kept losing.
0: Well, I grew up in Boston. And if you don't know, Boston is a massive sports town. It's it's maybe one of the most passionate, maybe top three in terms of passion for sports, uh, you know, in, in the United States. And when I moved to Los Angeles in my early 20s, I was surprised to see that it seemed like if the teams weren't performing at an elite level, none of the LA fans really cared at all. In fact, they would be like, Oh, they they fucking suck. And I was like, Oh wow, the the fandom is a little bit different here, but there was one distinct moment that I thought was interesting. It was when the LA Kings, so the hockey team, and if you've been to LA, you know, it's not necessarily a big hockey town, right? Like it's a warm place. Hockey's not necessarily the number one thing. Like I came from Boston and and Boston, you know, the Northeast and the Great Lakes region of the United States, like Minnesota Wisconsin area uh, those are the two primary hockey locations in the United States other than that you got to go to Canada You got to go to Europe to get the big-time hockey But I remember being at a bar when the LA Kings were in the finals and as they were winning all the LA people They were they were celebrating in a way that I just didn't expect given their like fair weather fandom So they do they did like uh reinvent what it means to be a fair weather pa- fan They were celebrating like this was the most important moment ever ever when if the team wasn't performing well they just flat out didn't give a shit so we'll have to see ben we were checking out some live hoop with Guttercat gang and Guttercat, you know gang gang they uh sponsored a team in that like semi-pro league they sell basketball jerseys do you like i don't know you're you're a member of Guttercat gang do you feel like they're gonna get deeper and deeper into hooping yeah
1: i would assume so they, they've taken a pretty sports forward approach with you know the the way that they've been marketing their project. Um, personally, I if I had to pick a sports oriented project, I I would probably lean towards Knights of D-Gen. Um, my buddy Drew Austin's project. They you know they really you know take the lead. I think when it comes to um, trying to provide a, a sporting ex- community or experience for for the members, like they, they do a lot of different things regarding that. So I would say that if, if you're not familiar with the Knights of DJ, and that's a, a really good one, if you're into sports.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, love to hear about sports focused NFT projects. Uh, I did that UFC broadcast on Saturday, so hopefully we can get into more and more sports content, but enough about sports for now. I want to throw to signal who is that S- signals, a former professional athlete as well. Signal. Can you tell us about your, uh, your lengthy sports background?
5: my lengthy sports background well considering there are a number of sports which i still don't know what you guys are talking about i'm always frantically googling but uh yeah it's just funny the translation no mine's so, in, uh the what wa-
3: uh, sorry didn't mean to interrupt but just so you know basketball is this thing where like basically there's a ball that you dribbled down there's two hoops and you're trying to shoot the ball into the hoop so
4: uh just wanted thank to- you bagel nick
5: thank you yeah, thank you you're yeah. welcome Thank you. Thank you for clarifying basketball. Uh, actually, saying that we have netball, I don't know if you guys have netball. Do you, do you have netball? What is, exactly
0: is netball? Yes,
5: oh, thank you. Exactly. Great. Finally. I've so seen the netball highlights. Is that European
0: handball? I don't Dude, it's know way what crazier. handball
5: is. It's like basically it's like basketball, but you don't bounce. So you can, if I remember correctly, you can only bounce the ball once and then you have to stop and then you have to throw. And then the other person is allowed. So you basically are not allowed to dribble the ball and then you just keep passing it around frantically and then you shoot. And it's a very well known, like, um, I mean, men and women play it, but I think it's played more by women. But that is netball. Now, my former uh, uh, sports, if you like, was long distance running. I used to do a lot of long distance running back in the days uh, as a sort of 15, 16, 17-year-old. And, yeah, I used to do it, like, competitively at sort of national level so that was me that was my running background but um the thing about running is that it does it's not a sports game like it's not a team game I mean it can be when you do the relay but everybody knows it sucks to do the relay when you're the slowest runner because you always get blamed for losing the competition it's not like I don't know like something like basketball where you can just, you know, maybe it was a culmination or three or four people, or it was the final point. Most of the time losing in running in a team is just down to the slowest person. So this is why I never liked doing it in a team because I just didn't want to take the blame.
0: (laughs) So that was me. That's my mentality. If me and Nick go camping, I only have to outrun Nick so that the bear, uh, you know, will not eat me and it'll just uh, take him down. I didn't know that. That ain't going to
3: happen. Sorry. (laughs) Just letting you know. Nick's going to I'll be sprinting like it's surprising. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you're, you have like a couple inches on, on your, uh, stride length, but, uh, I move very rapidly.
0: Well, and, and, you know, I'm still in the recovery from my basketball injury. I'm recovering so- from
3: COVID to be fair. So if it happened like today, if you, but I wouldn't be in the woods with a bear right now.
0: There you go. Um, Well, anyway, uh, you know, obviously, Signal prepares the weather report, but today is Kix's day to let us know about the weather in the NFT space. Kix, uh, a former football player himself, big guy, big big American guy, hitting people on the football field. Uh, Kix, what's in store for us when it comes to the weather?
2: Hey, how you doing, P.O.? Once again, it's not John Bollinger, uh, sorry. John Bollinger. Fucking John Bollinger. Yep, it's okay. (laughs) Okay. Today is uh, Wednesday, the 26th of October, 2022. OpenSea volume 9 million out of the $7 million range on Monday plus Tuesday. So that's fantastic to see. Also, part of that volume on OpenSea may have been dropping because of Blur, um, which is uh, just basically a bunch of paper handers. If you go over there, you can just see floors getting demolished in front of your eyes. It's actually incredible. Um, The leaders on OpenSea, uh, apes at 74, mutants at 12.9, punks at 66.8, moonbirds at 9.1, doodles at 7.3, clonex at 8.8. If you want a 10% discount on any of those, just go over to Blur. Uh, Over the past 24 hours, apes and punks at number one and number two on OpenSea. Coming in third is Our Planet, which minted out yesterday at .08. Goal of the project is connect utility and financial opportunity, 8888 supply collection. The allow list was over allocated, but if you didn't get on the allow list, you still had an opportunity to buy it at or slightly below mint on the secondary right out of the gate. Uh, We've actually seen more than 4K sales on secondary. I think it went up to like 0.13, 0.14. It's back down to 0.11, but still a nice gain. Um... From uh, the original Mint. Um, And lots of great news about that. It's women-led. The team has a lot of experience when it comes to startups. They also raised at least $5 million. So interesting project over there. Uh, Pixel Vault is airdropping a new NFT called Inhabitants. Uh, they did some analysis and decided that uh, they, they needed some more NFTs in the ecosystem. So if you hold Punk Comics, MetaHeroes, and Mint passes, um, I think you can get an Inhabitant. Also, the MetaHero art has been updated by a different artist to focus on the collection's new direction. Saw a nice bounce there on the MetaHero floor. Went from 0.7 to 0.9. So that's awesome. If you're holding uh, Pixel Vault assets, you're going to get a new NFT and also saw a little pump off of the news. Uh, Pixel Vault also has a auto-battler game, if I recall correctly. I'm not sure if the alpha will be released by the end of the year, but they definitely said um, some more details on that coming. So Pixel Vault uh, should be getting out um, uh, a game pretty soon, so that's exciting. The battle for the number one marketplace is heating up after X2Y2 tweeted at Blur.io to stop using our listings on your website. X2Y2 has blocked Blur for violating terms by applying for 10 plus keys to access their API. Love seeing some PVP amongst the marketplaces. Get Bro! me going. Get <laughs> me going. Uh, Art Blocks continues to see volume after Danny Seedphrase bought 190 Art Block pieces. And yesterday, Snowfro announced he will be minting 10 fresh new squiggles for Squiggle Doubt. Squiggle Floor seeing strong support at these levels and now is just shy of the Mutants Floor at 12.7 ETH. When we look over to crypto, Bitcoin's at 20.6. ETH is at 15.30. Bitcoin up 7%. ETH up 50%. You can buy my book on Bollinger Bands if you're trying to understand why that happened. I also consult at $1,000 an hour. You can find my website at BollingerBands.com. Yesterday, NASDAQ ended 2% higher. And the uh, S&P, 1.6% higher. Those trades got erased by um, Microsoft and Google uh, tanking after releasing their earnings report. Um, And part of the reason why we saw a big squeeze up on the crypto side is yesterday we saw over $700 million in liquidations on short trades. That's a level not seen since July 2021. That's it for the weather report. Back to you in the studio.
0: Absolutely. Fantastic weather report, John Bollinger. Nick, something to add before I go into the Nifty Daily Digest?
3: I mean, there's so many things that are in there uh, in terms of the... Uh, w- one thing that was shocking to me on the Pixel Vault news was that the planet Dow holders didn't get access to this new NFT. So that was interesting to observe. Um, I don't know why, uh, but here, here they are getting another NFT. So that's very exciting. Uh, and, and also the other thing about uh, X2Y2, that was interesting. The general consensus in the comments was, uh, go fuck yourself, w- was kind of like the general tone of people that were posting in response to X2Y2. It just sounds like there's some tension there. And uh, what we would pay for is a fight. And we would probably buy an NFT to watch that on live stream. Uh, if that was privately streamed to us. So that's kind of what I'm thinking is sort of the next move for these marketplaces.
0: Yeah, the CEOs of these different marketplaces will do sanctioned uh, martial arts competitions similar to the big time YouTubers like Logan Paul and KSI.
3: Or literally like it would be even better. Like they don't even need to train. They can just start like trying to punch each other. Like I think that would be more entertaining. I don't know if you saw the uh, YouTubers that did a soccer game um, or football as it's called in the rest of the world. Uh, they did, uh, there was uh, Mr. Beast and I'm blanking on the name of the, uh, uh, the, the London based team. Um, but pretty much, uh, they did and an, they filled an entire stadium with amateur soccer essentially, or amateur football, whatever you want to call it. And it was a high scoring game. And I was like, man, this is actually better than watching regular football because people are scoring cause the goalies suck. <laughs> so like, it would actually be better just watching two people try and punch each other
0: in the face. Yeah, that's like rough and rowdy uh, that Barstool Sports put on. Uh, you know, there's obviously some liability issues with that because, you know, people can literally die. But no, I, I agree with you. Maybe we should uh, sacrifice the founders of the major marketplaces. Well, look, before we uh, dive deeper into the show, just some updates from the Nifty Daily Digest, which is the daily newsletter written by our very own signal uh, for the nifty.com. You can sign up at the nifty.com. Gordon Goner. The co-founder of Board Ape Yacht Club showed support for Reddit avatars, tweeting, the Reddit NFTs look great. They feel super collectible and are well-designed. Smooth rollout. Kudos to the team. I agree with you, Gordon. I think it was fantastic. I think it will set precedent for how to introduce NFTs to different markets. Following the SEC's private probe into Yuga Labs, hey, that's Gordon's company, Guttercat Gang announced the gang coin launch will be uh, delayed until there is, quote unquote, sufficient regulatory clarity. So we'll see what happens there with these tokens that go alongside NFT collections. Axie Infinity, haven't heard that name in a while, started releasing previously restricted tokens to early investors. So I guess you'd call this like one of these BC unlocks as part of a massive... 200 million dollar unlocking event. Traders built up short positions, betting the token would fall. However, the token AXS, that's a shit coin, surged seven percent amid a market wide rebound. So, cue the meme where the guys, uh, like you know, freaking out over a one percent game only at seven percent. Catching shorts off guard and liquidating their position. So in other words, it was part of the short that John Bollinger just referenced, also known as Kicks. Last but not least, DC Comics, that is the organization behind Superman and Batman, announced the next step in its digital expansion DC3, so we're seeing more branding around Web3 versus NFTs, just like Vayner NFT changed their name to Vayner3. DC3, weekly comic drops on nft.dcuniverse.com featuring rare variant covers. The first drop will be Superman number one on October 27th for $9.99. I wonder if sleeping on this is going to also punish you just like if you slept on Reddit NFTs. That's something that I think is worth discussing. Why don't we throw to the CryptoPunk mayor himself, Nifty Nick, and then we'll go to Signal. Nick, what's on your mind?
3: Uh, It's all good. I'll just talk for the rest of the show. Um, In terms of uh, the... well, what you just said about the Reddit NFTs, I'm not sure if you know this, but they're now dead. So yesterday, uh, it was it was pumping this weekend, it was pumping. That whole trend, it's now uh, dead and gone. so we're no longer discussing that. It's uh, the game's sort of over. Um, prices dropped uh, if you didn't get out in time, uh, sorry for you, where they uh, all the people that made money on that should have transitioned uh, their capital over to eth. Um, is uh, John Bollinger, as he's calling himself incorrectly. They call me Nikki, uh, Nikki Bollinger. And uh, so I bought ETH uh, somewhere, and I'd like to go around and say where we all bought. And, and uh, I saw Ben exited as well, taking his gain. Um, but I entered my position at 14.55 yesterday. Kicks got in a little bit earlier there. I saw them both buying 20 ETH. I only bought 10, so not enough exposure here. Uh, but someone asked in the Discord what the target price is right now. Uh, we're looking for a close above fifteen forty-one. That would be the next uh, level that I'm watching. Uh, and uh, Kicks, what was your target? It was like sixteen, uh, 16 something.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but it, unless like tech earnings completely nuke, I could see it continuing to, uh, you know, like uh, slowly move up. I don't think we're going to get any crazy 10% pumps, uh, at least not in the next couple of days, but it could just keep creeping up.
3: Which is uh, the negative headwinds uh, is definitely the uh, the crash of uh, tech. Um, Microsoft down nearly 8%, so that's wiping off uh, a lot of capital. I've been looking at some of these shares uh, inspired by the book that NFT God mentioned, uh, been reading Essentially, the, the first chapter is the only one that I I'm on the second one, but it's uh, the second chapter is much more boring. Uh, the first one was essentially just summarizing value investing. Um, and pretty much it, uh, the summary or synopsis there is buy low, sell high. So the real question is, when are these low? Microsoft has historically been a pretty good one to uh, buy into. So I'm looking to buy in if they uh, go down uh, some more. Um, they're one of the larger holdings in my portfolio, unfortunately uh, today. But yeah, I, it, and and the real question then is like, can ETH like rise in the face of this um, if earnings keep uh, crashing? Given the fact that um, these are correlated historically, Nasdaq and crypto. So yeah, I, I it, it's uh, tough momentum. I didn't buy more uh, ETH only because I'm I was waiting for a pullback down to fourteen twenty nine, which was the level I was looking at. Um, but it hasn 't gone down there, so uh, I have uh, minimum exposure there. but uh, I, I thought that it was worth noting since that 's quite a big rip because for the past month we 've been ranging on eth essentially within a hundred dollar range, uh, sitting between like twelve hundred and sixty and thirteen hundred and sixty was the range obviously I mean it extended out of there a couple of times, um, but for the most part, the core range was within that, and so this is the first time we 've broken above. Uh, it, it, myself, I, I was even anticipating uh, another leg down. Maybe it happens, uh, but it's not happening at this moment. It feels like yesterday was a big short squeeze, um, but I don't know how this market's going to be, you know, looking for direction. I don't, I don't know what like positive headwinds we have coming down the... the uh,
2: yeah, if you uh, <sighs> if you all take a look at the... Uh, the- Uh, board right here uh, that I'm showing all of you. Uh, I'm I'm laser pointing right now. You can see that month of consolidation made the Bollinger bands come inside the Keltner channels uh, real tight. And so we just waited for a confirmation of the breakout which was when it pumped a 1,400 um, and then you can long uh, right there.
3: And (laughs) so uh, when when are you exiting your position here? Mr. Uh, uh, Bollinger as you're calling yourself.
2: The bands don't tell you when to exit. Uh, so still figuring that one out.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: love to hear the Bollinger analysis. Uh, I think Nifty Nick is totally right. It's absolutely worth discussing and Ethereum, you know, really, uh, kind of, you know, informs a lot of the moves that we make in the NFT space. So we'll definitely dive deeper into it. Signals had her hand raised. Signal, what's on your mind?
5: Yeah. I wanted to talk about one of the news items you brought up, but as we're on crypto, we'll, um, stay on crypto. Um, actually i wanted to throw to bouvet on this because he called this um i want to say three four weeks ago these movements so we'll throw to him in in a minute but i also wanted to ask uh bouvet as well why is ETH sort of out like double outperforming um bitcoin on these moves at the moment because we saw like seven percent but like 15 percent move up on ETH. i'll be interested to hear your thoughts on that
0: bouvet happy to have you on the
6: show oh hello guys So uh, basically, before the technical, if you look at the ETH and uh, BTC held on the exchanges, you can kind of see if their market has like lots of volume or liquidity. And you have to compare those graphs, but it's going to take a long time to talk here. So uh, the other thing would be that uh, there's a Bitcoin dominance chart. So a lot of people know that here. You have to take a look at that and see how... Bitcoin is doing compared to other altcoins uh, and then uh, you can see that's the difference it shows between the ETH and the BTC and uh, the key levels uh, you guys are talking about today I mentioned the, in the signals tweet and then so right now just like Kick said we're looking at a slow couple of few days because it uh, now there's one candle uh, about to close in like eight hours above this uh, pink triangle that I showed you guys earlier so if we get a couple of uh, daily candles closing above this uh, 1540 range, uh, it's gonna slowly move up to the 1755 levels. Uh, if it fails to do that, then it's gonna go back inside the triangle, hit the 1300s again, and then the same process is gonna repeat. So it's gonna be a slow uh, couple of weeks, I think.
0: Okay, very interesting prediction. Thank you for that prediction, Bouvet. Uh, I want to throw over to Spencer, who's had his hand raised. Spencer, you know, a few things going on in the market. You went on the show with Kevin Rose. Obviously, you're a big holder in Moonbird's oddities and Moonbird's. Um, but what is on your mind? Well, I just wanted to first
7: talk a little bit about the ETH price action because it is kind of crazy and interesting. Sure. Um, one thing that I do when I look at like, ETH price movement is I always have pulled up both like ETH charts, and then also ETH futures, and there was a 30-minute time uh, period of time yesterday where there was a billion dollars in volume done on um in in and positive volume done on ETH futures specifically. I thought that was an interesting thing to watch happen because I don't think I've seen like volume of that size, um, especially volume of that size outside of like a Fed meeting, in quite a while. So one thing that I think with this ETH move, and this is part of the reason that I'm not buying this ETH move, is that it looked to me like there was some pretty significant activity by certain institutions. Like this is not a retail driven move, was my feeling. This was a couple, like one to two, but I think probably one, like really significant capital source moving the market. And when we see that, it tends to like pump for a little bit and then pull back. So I think that also, to me, is like part of the reason that ETH pumped more than Bitcoin was someone just did a really large futures buy on ETH.
0: Okay, well, great observation. Uh, Saying institutional capital is what's driving this, and it's you know it's unclear whether it'll be sustained. Um, no, do you have your hand raised? What's going on?
4: Yeah, I think the slowly but surely we're going to see the impact of the <clears throat> of the merge. Uh, if you if you look at like. Uh, what the supply would have been uh, in terms of increases of ETH supply without the merge, there would be an extra, I think it's like 450,000 ETH out there. Um, so I think when, whenever there's some of these moves, I, I do think ETH is going to continue to be a little bit more reflexive in price than, than, uh, than previously or than Bitcoin. Um, one thing I wanted to mention on the macro, though, uh, that's not overly optimistic is Amazon. Uh, their site traffic quarter over quarter was down by over 14%. Which is like 400 million, you know, uh, like visits or people, uh, and that that's like the entire uh, amount of site traffic that like Walmart.com usually gets. So I, I think consumers, like in terms of their buying, uh, it's, I think it's definitely decreasing uh, because Amazon's probably the most a- accurate source in terms of consumer behavior, in my opinion. Um, so that I, I do wonder you know, what that means for the future. That's
3: odd because I've been trying to carry that traffic uh,
4: by increasing it a significant
3: <laughs> amount and just purchasing more things uh, to a degree that's unsustainable. But you know, I figured that would have uh, been reflective in the broader market. And, and I would have thought that the 2021 NFT boom would have been uh, reflected in the uh, broader uh, economy.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Nick's trying to just put uh, the entire you know, like Amazon consumer base on his back. But look, Node, what you bring up is actually very, very uh, good to talk about. And this is in line with Gary Vaynerchuk pointing out that Apple is slowing the production of iPhone 14. I talked about this on this show. Uh, we talked about this a little bit more in depth on the show with Elio Trades because that one's more macro-focused. Um, at this point, three, six, nine months uh, of pain – Seems realistic. I know it sounds scary, uh, but consumers are going to tighten up. It's it's a gnarly time in the economy, and when you see entities like Apple and Amazon start to make adjustments, they're not stupid. They have the data. It's not a coincidence. So we'll see how all this stuff plays out. Note: appreciate you bringing in the Amazon data because I
8: know you have an Amazon background.
0: Want to throw to the Deep who has his hand raised. Deep, what's going on?
8: Hey, Pio, how's it going? First of all, I wanted to point out that I never thought I'd have something common with Signal. I'm also like a great long runner. I've been, you know, running away from my responsibilities all my life. (laughs) But uh, I did want to, you know, talk about the the question about the prize action. I mean, generally, you know, like Spencer said, obviously, when you want to see whether a a rally is organic or not, you see the difference between the spot and the futures. And when a rally is led by spot, that's when you know there's actual retail interest right and the other thing you know I add to the confluence is that whenever altcoins and each lead a rally uh, that's when you know that it, it's it's a weak rally right so I, I generally fade any rally which which is you know like which is not led by Bitcoin generally I, I feel much more confident when the Bitcoin dominance is rising along with the prices of uh, Bitcoin itself which means that there is much more confidence in the crypto market in general and you know as they say bitcoin is king so when there is confidence uh, it's much better and uh, apart from that you know i see that this time the rotation is much more quicker in altcoins and generally whenever dodge starts seeing movement that's when i know that the, the, the chances of the top being in are higher so i'm i'm really sort of fading the movement uh also i had one more question i know how many guys uh, read the the post of Arthur Hayes, which was talking about you know the supply of T bills being increased by by the U uh, S Reserve, like the U S Treasury. So if anyone can sort of talk about that, that would be awesome.
0: Yeah, I'm curious, Spencer. Did you did you take a look at that, or maybe Nick or Kix? Anybody see that post from Arthur Hayes?
3: Uh, I did not. Uh, I like the analysis on the uh, Bitcoin there, though. That was pretty solid, um, and I also feel. Uh, deep on running away from all sorts of responsibilities in life. And that's something that I sort of try to do on a regular basis.
0: Well, that's what I like to hear, Nick. Uh, We have a new speaker. Where
3: where is the post uh, from Arthur Hayes?
0: Uh, I mean, I I haven't pinned it or anything. I'm sure it's on the internet, on Twitter. Uh, I'm running the show. Can't really jump into it right now, but if somebody wants to pin it, that's fine. Uh, We have a new speaker. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you're a new speaker repping nouns. Uh, Blake, your handle is Trade Tracer. Your description says that you are into investing, collecting, and building Web3. You have your hand raised.
9: Welcome to the show. What's going on? yo gm thanks for having me on guys uh very interesting conversation i wanted just to hop on and uh, give a little bit of feedback on how i'm reading this bitcoin and eth move so one of the things that you know i kind of see the difference between bitcoin and ethereum is ethereum is more of a tech play and so i like to compare that to like a nasdaq and the reason i say it's more of a tech play is because it's money but it's programmable money so you know there's there's more things that you can do with eth you can build on it As opposed to Bitcoin, you know, it's going to be, you know, kind of like the Dow diamonds, you know, just steady, you know, always there, not going anywhere. So, you know, when we see these these outside moves where, you know, ETH outperforms, you got to take into consideration, you know, really over the past, you know, really since the peak in August, you know, relatively speaking, Bitcoin has been lagging or I'm sorry, ETH has been lagging Bitcoin. So, you know, when we see it lags and then we have an up move. It's very likely to see, you know, ETH outperform on those up moves and kind of play catch up, kind of like we saw yesterday in the market. With, you know, as an update in the market, you know, the Dow Jones has been leading, uh, but we see Nasdaq with a higher percentage move. But you know, the Nasdaq still, you know, lagging relatively speaking in the market. So I kind of look at ETH to BTC similar to that. Um, yeah, and you know, if if you're into trading, there's definitely some some ways to stack ETH. Uh, without, you know, trying to be leveraged long just by simply trading the uh, the ETH to BTC trade.
0: Well, great insight. Thank you, Blake. And uh, stick around. We'd love to hear any other thoughts that you have on the crypto or NFT market. Signal, you have your hand raised. What's going on? Yeah,
5: i I wanted to talk about the news story that D- about D C comics that was mentioned in the um daily newsletter report. So um, for people who might have miss it, so you've got DC Comics, they've announced that the next step in their expansion is gonna be these weekly comic drops, right? And so I thought this was quite interesting because D C and Marvel were all about vive. Um Vive, Vive. Dunno. Vive. Vivi early in the year. And um there was that huge sort of like um, like lag of like one year where you could buy the collectible, then you couldn't get your money out. So you'd see the collectible would go up in price and then it was actually stuck then. And I think earlier this summer, around July, they um, allowed people to be able to take their winnings. But what is more interesting about this is that if you had actually bought into those uh, comics on Vivi I think um, sp- I think it was the Amazing Spider- Spider-Man number one went for around uh, $17,000 uh, and then there was another number one trying to remember which one it was that went for close to like $90,000 so these number one comics although like people might think they're very niche and weird they go for a ridiculous amount of money and as was mentioned in the newsletter they're doing the number one uh, comic for batman and they'll sell it for ten dollars it'll probably get botted um but it'll be interesting so you've got this you know it's a bit like reddit you've got this very niche community you've got a nice low price you've got a good amount of supply coming in and i just don't see these min- uh, i just don't see these trading on secondary at uh unattractive prices so i think this is probably one of the most interesting drops coming up um that people should have their eye on
0: I love the comparison to Vivi. It's spot on. And for people that don't know, Vivi is licensed digital collectibles. So you see a lot of collectibles from the comic book companies like DC. You see collectibles from you know IP that you saw on cartoons when you were growing up, like Cartoon Network and others. Um, They were very popular with a niche group. Uh, For example, in 2021, Vivi YouTube was very, very popular. Vivi YouTube videos would actually outperform broader NFT market videos because it was a niche community and they consumed their Content on YouTube instead of Twitter, although there was still a Twitter presence. What Signal brought up about it getting botted is spot on. The thing is, is like they're going to sell it for ten dollars, which is obviously a very low price. It has established historical value, right? Like this is a comic book by DC, and like Signal said, there's been big sales posted. On the other comic books that have dropped, the number one issue comic books that have dropped on VV, so there is assumed value here. It would be like the if the estate of Jackson Pollock put out an their their first official like digital asset in Pollock's name like you know an official release from the estate of Jackson Pollock uh, if they sold it for $200 uh, that there's just baked in value that people think that's not worth $200 that's worth $600 and it would get botted so the the challenge with the DC comic is going to be to get it because i have to think that it's going to be botted and there's a very slim chance that the DC folks are going to have the proper infrastructure in place to pre- prevent the botting but it's going to be very fascinating to see what happens on the secondary market. And it'll be interesting to see if this direct from DC, right? No third party like VV onboards new users to the NFT space like Reddit. One thing I could see happening is there wasn't any rebrand with this, right? They put nft.dcuniverse.com or whatever in the URL. So we'll see if that NFT being in there actually deters traditional comic book and physical collectible uh, market participants from uh getting involved with this kicks aka john bollinger has his hand raised. what's going on
2: i i just wanted to call out uh <clears throat> i just uh i just love uh how nfts are working right now where you know eth moves up and we reprice down <laughs> in, in the exact so like eth goes up 10 percent all of nfts reprice down by 10 percent in usd terms and in eth terms But then when ETH goes back down, it doesn't reprice back up. So I think this is kind of where, you know, Pia, you said that a lot of smart minds and, you know, Nick's talked about this, where, like, could see floors going down by, like, another 50%. Like, the kind of brutal way for that to happen would be, like...
0: Slow bleed.
2: Yeah, slow bleed through ETH being bullish. Um, And then, like, even if ETH pulls back, we don't really regain those levels. But I think, like you know, after this most recent pump, that seems like a like a fairly uh, plausible way that we continue to see bleeding in NFTs um, is that we kind of just get chopped up by ETH price action until we find a true bottom.
0: Well, I want to hear from from everybody, from Nick, Spencer, Node, everybody. If I could just put in my two cents on that, the way I look at it is in this in this gnarly macro environment it's easier to have conviction in things like Bitcoin and Ethereum And when you have the the higher beta assets, as we like to call them, like NFTs, it's harder to have that deep conviction. Having said that, if you see the prices get cut in half and you see a mute nape at like six or seven grand, I think that there will be a lot of participants willing to deploy capital at those prices. But right now, when everything's slowly bleeding, it's hard to justify buying the NFT asset, which is higher risk, Lower liquidity, and we're in a period where we're trying to figure out what the proper value proposition is. I think the the deep conviction, true believers like myself, and and like a lot of people that listen to this show and participate on this show, would say that you know this thing that the value prop will shake out over time. But right now, when you buy a Moonbird, you just get the Moonbird. Yeah, that's it. There's no like, what do I get? You get the Moonbird. That's what you get. Um, Nick, you have your hand raised. What's going on?
3: Uh, I was gonna comment on uh, what kicks was saying and then also uh some other items but uh the the in terms of price action there was um cryptopunks has actually that floor came up a little bit it was sub I think it was below 90k or down to like 80k once again it's now back over a hundred so that's the only one that I've seen actually go up um, with the uh, price it's just uh it, it it seems more priced than ETH, um, and it's been pretty dang stable. Uh, the other thing, which was completely unrelated, uh, Sarah uh, Script mentioned this in our Discord, and I, I added her to come up if that uh, sounded like what you wanted to discuss, but um, apparently Squarespace uh, gave added the ability to um, create collectibles, or they're calling it digital collectibles, not NFTs, uh, directly on your website, which is... Pretty powerful. Um, we we discussed, you know, how uh, like onboarding um, the the masses into the space. I was chatting with, uh, a, or it was like a writer from Fortune re- reached out last night, was asking about uh, the Reddit side of things. And uh, outside of the speculative side of things, where like like I mentioned earlier, it's uh, the floor has dropped like fifty percent. Um, obviously, because uh, some of those prices were not sustainable when you have millions of uh, NFTs created by by Reddit, but they ended up doing something that was still wildly significant in the sense that it onboarded a bunch of people into the space, and a lot of people who may have uh, previously said I'm not getting involved in this NFT thing uh, found themselves, you know, buying some of uh, these Reddit NFTs uh, for, because they were Reddit users. The same thing is going to happen, and this Squarespace announcement is pretty big, uh, pretty big deal. Um, on that front in the sense of onboarding a lot more people into the space. And, and it's happening, you know, we're at the beginning of the bear market, frankly, or early stages of the bear market. And we're just seeing a lot of action uh, in terms of uh, development and user experience stuff um, that's been uh, rolling out. And like, this is, this is still just the beginning of that process. So it's pretty exciting to observe the one thing the the last comment on that, which I think is um, relevant to sort of the onboarding of the masses, the thing that I think a lot of us yearn for, especially those that uh, participate in this show or participate in our community, is the pumping of these prices to incredibly elevated levels because last year some of us made effectively life changing sums of money as a result of just like buying at the right time, being in the right place and getting wildly lucky in the process. And as the masses get onboarded, I feel like the the size of those pumps are going to become smaller and smaller outside of the limited number, which are at the high end of the market, which at this point seems to be limited pretty much to just punks and, uh, uh, and bored apes for the most part. Um, you can throw in a, the tier underneath that. Uh, but it's it's down significantly uh, relative to those two. So th- it's both exciting and simultaneously a completely different environment uh, than we saw last year and i sort of wonder if the speculative side of things as big as it is we're, right now it's been the largest component of the market i think we're now going to see a bunch more people come into this that have nothing to do with that side of it and maybe this is you know you maybe this is the transition to art that all the artists have uh desired but i i just find it Fascinating to observe, exciting because it's happening, and we're seeing this development and we're seeing adoption within this space. So and and uh, excited about how early it is as well. Um, so this is just more validation that this space as a whole is uh, occurring. I, I just don't know that we're going to uh, see the high end speculative side as active.
0: I love that you brought up art in there because I think if we are going to see it like that, it would come in the form of an artist catching fire like globally or in the traditional art world. So you get those crazy inflated valuations. So somebody, let's say just some platform that has something to do with art and actually has a big user base I mean, this is kind of the Beeple story on Nifty Gateway. Like, it was a thousand dollars to buy Beeple, but he had a name and he had hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers. He was known in the digital art world. Joe Rogan had talked about him on his podcast already. Like, people know, knew who Beeple was. He had, uh, you know, gotten a lot of hype or, or just like he had gotten in front of a lot of eyeballs through social media. And then the people that ended up following him on Nifty Gateway and buying in that open edition primary sale. So just go on and click the button during a uh, a five or a 10-minute period and spend $1,000, that went to $200,000 within 45 days. I wouldn't be surprised if you see something similar to that, and and it comes in the form of the art market versus just a hype cycle for NFTs in general. I want to hear from Spencer, who has his hand raised. Spencer, uh, what's on your mind?
7: Yeah, it's funny Nick mentioned this, but I was actually also going to talk about punks and actually apes. Both have held their floor price in this move which is a little bit surprising And i think this is the big question always is like you know people sell nfts into ETH pumps historically because they just want to catch the the ride but we just haven't seen that yet and like uh punks had been down to like 80k they were hovering around 85k basically and they were pretty consistently like sticking to the u.s dollar price of 85k because punks tend to trade the most in u.s dollars out of like any nft is my view. Um, and I'm just, I'm surprised that we haven't seen more listings or more sales uh, below a hundred K since this ETH run has happened. And I think that that kind of supports the thesis that I've had for a while, which is that there's just like a fair number of people who are sat in stables, accumulating punks. And we'll see that throughout the bear. And that was, you know, even when we, we had beanie on, like that was what he was doing, right. It was just buying punks. And so it's just, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to see, um, The difference in how the types of collectors that hold punks and apes like treat their capital uh, versus others, but I have seen a pretty significant increase in listings, but no one's like undercutting the floor. Which it's just interesting to see. I
3: I feel like also though like that happens on uh, like that response can often be delayed, um, where we end up seeing it take uh, like a day or two um for the for the price to go down in fact actually as we're speaking one just went sub 100k um i don't know if that would, yeah so one just went uh, sub 100k which was uh, whatever $500 less than uh the last one um but yeah it, it is uh i agree I, but yeah i do think there's also like a delayed time for that especially at the higher end um there's less of a mad rush to get out the door Whereas, uh, as Kix was mentioning, I don't know what projects he was looking to, where the floors readjusted uh, instantly in uh, ETH prices or relative uh, USD prices. Um, But yeah, I I, I think uh, uh, at the highest end, there tends to be a slight delay. It is also interesting, you would mentioned, and that's what I had seen, was it was like 85K. So it is a big uh, step up. We've also seen some higher price sales. So, I mean, as as a solo punk holder, uh, I'm ha- I'm happy to see that, um, especially with the uh, VR. <laughs> in my own selfish interest, uh, the VR price is selling. But yeah, um, w- uh, a few other hands raised. Uh, Node, what what's going on?
4: Yeah, I just wanted to provide some context on uh, an item in the weather report on Meta Heroes. I, I don't know if it was made clear. I I didn't seem clear to me, but they're actually rebranded from meta heroes to inhabitants so if you look it's like the whole thing is the inhabitants universe and the inhabitants generative identities i guess uh and so i actually don't know if like it i correct me if i'm wrong maybe signal knows but like i don't know if you're actually getting new nfts or if they're just like transitioning everything over in a in a giant rebrand mm. and my my guess would yeah you're right because meta is <laughs> owned by a large corporation so they can't really name their thing meta hero anymore
5: yeah so no you're spot on it's a like a rebrand of the art for the new direction that they want to go so holders will still be able to have access to that today to uh the art that was originally done by chris wall um and then there's new art coming new art coming in and then chris wall is still their head of illustration um and he's going to be having uh spending more time on punks so yeah that's just to explain what's happening with um uh, with the re-brand.
0: Spending more time on punks?
5: Uh, punks is, uh, <laughs> we Oh, to go punks the comic. Yeah, punks comic. Yeah. So like the other side of the, uh, PV pixel vault, uh, universe.
0: Okay. Good to know. Yeah, and if,
5: if
1: you look, they, uh, they actually already rebranded the collections. So if you, if you go on Sea, like the, the planets are, are now the, um, inhabitants. And so you, I think the meta heroes did as well. Sorry for all the background noise.
0: <laughs> no, you're good. I guess, a Signal, do you know anything about the sidekicks and what the state of affairs is with the sidekicks?
5: No, no, I don't know the... Um, the st- uh, th- to be honest, I don't really like... I'm I'm out of the Pixel Vault world. I just know everything that's happened to date because, like, the story hasn't really evolved much since then. I don't know really what's going on with this, the, the, the... The sidekicks are now called the Dots, but I'm not really sure exactly what is going on there. Um. What I wanted to do though, just sort of shift the conversation going back to what we we're talking about on the art side. Um, what's really interesting as well is I think the people, I was talking to a collector, like a whale collector, who was saying, you know, one of the reasons why he holds punks is essentially as just beta to holding ETH. And I think that is a strategy that a lot of uh, people who collect punks are just holding it like for that reason. But it was also the uh, his strategy for collecting art in this current market. So you know, he was acknowledging that even though his portfolio is down on paper, he doesn't actually really mind because if you're able to accumulate uh, even, you know, small artists in this market and identify potentially who might be somebody who could break out later on, which is a skill unto itself, um, his his way of thinking it was that I don't mind being down in this current market because I always massively outperform the bull and, obviously like when he said that it actually reminded me of kicks like kicks being down on paper but then massively outperforms on like different nfts and different collections and i think when you have that strategy and have confidence in your ability to pick art it doesn't really matter where you are in the cycle currently if you know if you find the right person it's going to massively outperform when the next ball comes along and then that's how you make all your money back by essentially just outperforming the
0: entire market Absolutely, and obviously, that's incredibly difficult to do. It's like drafting good NBA players in the NBA, like identifying up and coming artists who are going to accrue value long term. It's something that Node, I think, uh, is really trying to do because you know, following in the footsteps of guys like DC Investor and then guys like you know K. Dean and Chris Bennett uh, that have have shown that they can do it very well. I see Chris Bennett repping the Halloween X Copy piece. It's basically the most badass PFP uh, that I think that you know you can point to. In the NFT space.
4: It, I it's, from, called, it's called the Pump King, which is such a great name too.
0: I mean, X is the man. Um, so I want to throw to Blake and Gene Parmesan, but before we do that, since we talked about CryptoPunks, I'd love to get Spencer's perspective as somebody that runs a fund and is an institutional investor. You know, Spencer, like... It, is there a case that could be made that instead of diversifying into a bunch of different projects, like for example, you bought uh, a, like a bunch of Moonbirds, you bought Board Apes, you bought our NFT, you bought uh, you know other NFTs in the ecosystem? W- would a, a very he- and I know you have CryptoPunks, but would a heavier allocation to CryptoPunks you know be less risky over the next four years? I don't know. I'm sure you've thought about it. I'm sure you've done analysis on it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I would be lying
7: if I said that there wasn't like consistently a voice in the back of my head. That's just like the only thing you should be buying is punks. <laughs> that that like voice is very consistently there. Um, I think it like depends a little bit on what you're thinking. Like a big thing about my mandate, though, is like my investors are interested in learning the space, like like interested in this investment as like part of, um, you know, getting exposure to different stuff. So I'm supposed to be riskier. Right. And so like, uh, one thing that I I doing with my fund is like I want to make bets that I think can ten x within the space even without the space ten xing, and so like that probably isn't punks like punks probably move with the space. But one of the things that I have done is like holding enough like I, I'm holding enough punks that if punks return to all time high, punks alone will have returned the entire base capital of the fund. So that's how I have been thinking about it is and. Like if when they were at like eighty five k, like I picked up some more because like what you have to realize like punks were like half a million dollars at one point. I think if you're if things really go risk on again, like we saw a taste of that today, but if things really go risk on again, I think we see an eth run, and I think we see a punk run as well. like like really risk on, like like interest rates are going down because it's just the most obvious asset to me to own. And like, I don't like, like, whereas other things I'm like, I'm not really sure if other things will see their all time highs again, I think most won't, I think we do see in the next 10 years, I just struggle to see how we don't see punks back at their all time high, um, unless this whole space goes to zero. And and for that reason, it's like, okay, that is, you know, potentially a 5x. So you only need a fifth of your portfolio in punks in order for punks to just return the whole base capital by returning to um, their ATH so that's kind of how I've been thinking about it I think similarly a little bit with apes but less so um, but yeah it's it's a crazy world and, and you never know but there's just so many people who just sweep punks from USDC that like it, it never feels like a bad buy
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I love the way you're thinking about that. Uh, It sounds like that's an easier way to sleep at night, knowing that if you just hit all-time highs on punks again, which I think a lot of people would make that bet, uh, that that'll cover the rest of the portfolio. We got Blake, uh, got his hand raised again. The trader, Trade Tracer. Blake, what's going on?
9: Yo, GM. Yeah, definitely some uh, some good takes there, Spencer. I love your uh, thesis on punks there. You know, whenever I'm looking at investing uh, in the Web3 space, you know, for me, it's always about an opportunity cost. So do I think that this NFT is going to outperform ETH? You know, that's my question that I always ask. And in a sea of, you know, thousands of NFTs, uh, it's very easy to get distracted at, you know, the next shiny object, uh, you know, that just minted it out. Uh, so having conviction is something that's extremely critical. But um, I think it was Signal that brought up the, or maybe it was Nick uh, that brought up the the repricing in dollar terms uh, when when eth pumps so if you go back last year when eth was pumping man nfts were pumping as well as you know leveraged bet essentially uh, and now when eth pumps you know the, for the most part most of these nfts are repricing in dollars and i think that's a signal of two things i think that tells us you know that we are still in uh, a bear market and people are you know searching for liquidity they want to get back to eth when ETH pumps uh, they have that fear that, you know, my NFT is dropping and he's pumping without me. So I think that shows that we're still in, you know, <laughs> a bear market for one. And two, I also think it shows that we're still extremely early in the space. Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day and there was a stat that stood out to me and it was the active daily wallets on the Ethereum network that hold an NFT is like 60,000 wallets. So people that think we're early, um, if that stat actually is true, we are extremely early. And I think as we start to develop more, people will start pricing in ETH as opposed to dollar terms.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I I hope we can get to a point where that stat is like a thousand percent accurate and everybody can be on the same page and believe in it. It just sounds like such a tiny number because everybody has multiple wallets. Everybody has a hot wallet, everybody has a vault. So if you do that math, if you even just cut that number in half, it's just such a tiny space. Nick, go ahead.
3: But what what happened with like the Reddit NFTs, for example? Like what what happened with all those wallets? I, I feel like the and so it doesn't include. Well, I guess it doesn't include Matic. We're we're just looking at ETH, maybe as as a way of doing that.
9: Daily, this. I guess the stat was like active
3: daily wallets. Okay, well, well, people don't and use their vaults.
1: vaults, not wallets.
3: Yeah, that's a harder one to uh, monitor. Is the the number there has to be you know a million wallets that have had uh, NFTs traded through them you know in the past year or something like that? Daily is is a completely different. uh, uh, analysis. But yeah, the numbers that you're saying are relatively low. I, the, Matic is the one that stands out for me, though. And I think you have to look at those blockchains. And I, I don't remember easy. You had some numbers that you talked to like Magic Eden or something in terms of uh, numbers that they were providing. But wasn't it like 25,000 in a day or something? Uh, do, do you remember what that number was?
7: I'll have to double check, but it was right around there. It was like everything we basically looked at on Crypto was
3: wrong. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, at least in that tweak-out engagement. Um, but uh, in terms of, uh, and, and I don't know that they've adjusted theirs um, either, but um, in terms of, like, number of wallets, it's it's such a hard uh, piece of data to track. And it's actually crazy, like, even on the NFT side of things, some of the analysis that I end up wanting to look at is uh, harder to find, OpenSea actually has, uh, as they've been updating a lot of their features, some of the best um, sort of insight uh, w- on the analytics side. Like their leaderboard provides a lot of insight in terms of like lifetime sales volume. I was interested in like, uh, you know, how much volume the top thousand have done or what percentage that it's done. And it's just hard to get access to that information um, on the aggregate side of things. You, I guess you can use Dune Analytics, but like, Everyone refers to Dune Analytics like it's easy to use. There's not like great documentation on how to access this information. And the queries are quite complicated. So it's 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 not easy to churn that out. Um so it's it's a limited audience that has access to it. So, anyways, it it is interesting to watch. That said, I think that a lot of the data in terms of um activity uh that's happening on chain versus off chain versus different chain, um, it, it's hard to get a good round metric. Well, whatever it is, the numbers still are not that great. Um, if the total market's a hundred thousand, it's basically nothing. I don't. I don't remember what the numbers were. Uh, there was data that came out about um, Meta and how many people were using uh, the, whatever the Oculus. And I don't know if they rebranded Oculus. I forget. But the bottom line is, uh, the the number of daily users has gone down, and I think it's like half a million or something like that. So basically, Oculus is, you know. 5 to 10 times the size of the NFT market, which regardless of numbers, it's pretty damn bad. Maybe my numbers are off. Maybe it's like 5 million, 500,000 sounds way too tiny. Um, But regardless, we're super early uh, and, and, or, you know, you could argue maybe it's a, a smaller market. My assumption though, is that that number creeps up towards the millions at a minimum
0: gotta think so gotta think so uh, we got gene parmesan funny man on stage gene you said that you wanted to talk a little bit about the eth uh, price action what's going on
10: hey what's up thanks for having me um yeah i saw the i just googled it nick it says oculus has 2.4, 2.4 million yeah, yeah exactly 2. Point. uh yeah I, I watch eth like a hawk because i feel like eth you know eth is the crypto asset that i think is going to lead in the next cycle i think we're going to see the flippening, and i think everyone i talk to who runs you know a crypto fund they compare their returns to ETH the way like a hedge fund would compare to the S&P 500. So I've been watching ETH a ton. And I felt like, you know, every week for the past three or four weeks, it's had this head fix, like, you know, from 12, from the like the high 1200s, like 1275, it's like 1370. And then it pulls, like every time I, I wonder if it's real, and then it pulls back. And so this pump, you know, I was on a plane. I, I landed and I saw this pump. And, you know, it just confirmed a lot of what I believe. Like, right now, the only NFT I own is a Nifty. Um, like, over the past few days, I've been exiting a few of my, you know, collections. And I think that, like, you know, one of my strongest beliefs is you know, a friend, and I was talking about this with Benjamin in the in the chat. Like, a friend of mine, like, the, the most successful crypto person I know, personally, he didn't, like, sit in front of his computer, like, reading Bollinger Bands and, like, doing a bunch of TA and stuff. Like, he just DCA'd from, like, through, like, two cycles. Like, I want to say, like, 2017 onward he just DCA you know really just DCA B- Bitcoin and by the 2020 you know bull run he was a crypto millionaire and I think a lot of people are tricking themselves out of money by like you know I think the average not even the average person I think that like if you did a forensic accounting of everyone's like who actually sits in front of a screen like trades like is drawing lines and you know looking for oh this like levels and stuff if you just compared what their returns if they had just you know from the day they started trading if they had just dollar cost average BTC and ETH I guarantee for like 90% of them they're doing better off just DCAing Bitcoin and ETH than like, you know, reading these bands and like you end up doing more work to lose more money. I think. And I think that like the reason why is because of days like yesterday where this thing can just rip out of nowhere. Right. And like, I think that when you're, you know, trying to like read the tea leaves and like, Oh, this, you know, this or that, like, if, like, like, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not a big believer in tea. I think it's kind of like astrology for men. And I think if it worked right, like you would be like, Oh, Everybody you know,
0: would be a billionaire if it worked. Yeah, you,
10: you'd be a billionaire. You would be like, oh, it's going to pump by 15%. Let me take out 100x leverage on Bybit and you would never have to work again. Like I, this stuff just doesn't really work. And I think that people really end up tricking themselves out of money. And all right, kick I'm, this guy I'm, off the
3: stage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, what Gene's saying, I say this all the time right and and like uh you have nick and kicks that are like kind of the trader camp and obviously there's times where it pays well, off huge uh, it, but it, but the bottom line is like one way is a guaranteed way to wealth if you have the deep conviction and you understand that these assets are going to be adopted and integrated into the world in a big way and the other way you can get your face ripped off and lose some money but go ahead nick well, I was just
3: going to say the, the assumption is like the majority of my own personal portfolio is one which is long-term investing, just hands down. That's where the majority of the money is sitting is in long-term uh, approaches. Technical analysis, though, does have a, a, a place. And in the case of this uh, particular run, the Bollinger Bands were accurate. And, and in fact, like a lot of people in our Discord uh, ended up making money on that movement. So uh, 30 days essentially it traded in a, uh, in a straight range we're now almost up to 1600 so basically if you just waited yes the long term side is collecting over the long term but the reality is is, is uh, if you dollar cost average up at 4000 you got wrecked and so the dollar cost average strategy kind of works but really if actually you look at um it, with crypto you can't do like value investing it just doesn't work because uh, there's no, it, it's harder to apply fundamentals. You could argue that there's on chain analytics and all this other stuff. And you fundamentals
0: can, in what way? Like the same way you apply fundamentals to a stock?
3: Yes, because like uh, stocks have a fundamental valuation based on like the enterprise value of that business, based on revenue and cash flows and things like that. I'm not saying there's people that do uh, quote fundamentals that exist for um, like on chain analytics with. Uh, Bitcoin or the halvening cycles or yeah, other I things. Say, I mean,
0: uh, you can just look at the cycles with Bitcoin and you can say, well, the Saudi funds haven't bought Bitcoin yet. And now we're in, the, in basically either the bottom or heading towards the bottom of a, but, of a bear market. So I'll buy some Bitcoin every week. I mean, isn't that kind of fundamental?
3: That's dollar cost averaging. And your belief is that this asset is going to go up, but there's no fundamental like existence behind the price of Bitcoin based on like, uh, like, you can't say like, yes, this what, makes what's sense. What's the that-
0: fundamental of gold, for example? Because it's a commodity, right? It's not a business. It's not a stock. It,
3: it's what- another one. It's it, 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 there are no like. It, it's not fundamentals. That's that's just the distinction. So all that you go based on is like foreign currency moves based on like uh, data that comes out from one uh, from from one end or to the next, but it also comes from just demand for that product. It's simply just supply and demand for that uh that item which is relatively arbitrary but someone who's doing value investing is doing it based on like like uh balance sheets and income statements and cash flow statements so you can actually go and read those documents and do some analysis based on it so like technicals is in a in a commodity market where things are effectively floating technicals become a much bigger signal basically because you don't have that same stuff to go off of. Like I can go to uh, Microsoft right now, say the price came down and say it's worth however many trillions of dollars right now. And I can come up with an enterprise value to that business because of... How much money they're making? How much I expect them to be making? How much but, money
0: but they even, have on their balance sheet? But even then, Mister Market is is manic depressive, and people have been saying that Tesla's fundamentals don't line up with its valuation forever. Yet the people that bought Tesla over and over again, uh, you know, have been rewarded. I mean, Elon has split Tesla two times basically just because people don't understand mathematics and think that you know because he splits it, it's a better buy just because the number is lower. But it's just like cutting a pizza into 16 slices instead of eight. It's not more food.
3: All all I'm saying is all these things are signals, basically. And what you're referencing, technicals is just that. It's a signal. And there's multiple different things that you can go after and multiple strategies that you can utilize. And you can argue that fundamentals don't even matter. That's what happened with Tesla, with GameStop is a better example of that, with some of these other businesses where the fundamentals became, like the price of the stock became completely disjointed or disconnected from some underlying fundamentals thing and and uh, and it, it resulted in short squeezes. It resulted in other things that were occurring that caused the price to go up. But ultimately ultimately, you need some point of reference when you're making an investment, right? And so that 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 is what drives them. That's the only reason that I say technicals are just that. They're another point of reference. And ultimately, intelligent investors, Develop points of reference that they end up utilizing to make their investment theses. And I think that, that your, the ones that you referenced, PO, are sort of like macro trends within terms of adoption of Bitcoin. That could be, that that can be a signal. All of those things are specifically are, are signals. I, I'm just saying, like, I, I wouldn't discount one over the other. It, it's just in the sense that, like, each of them are utilized by a cohort of people. And right now, if you followed the technicals over the past 48 hours on ETH, you ended up making a bunch of money. Like, that's, Wait, that's but, yeah.
10: But I just, don't mean to set off like a big argument, but like, the, the, I live and I saw Kix's tweet about, oh, if this thing goes past, you know, 1400, it's going straight to 1500. He was right. But like, if you waited for the technicals, wouldn't you have bought around that $1,350, 1400 range? Versus if you've just been accumulating the past few weeks, months, you would have been buying, you know, from nine hundred. to you know, you've just been like, wouldn't yeah. you have made more money if you've just been accumulating over the past two, three months versus waiting until it hit fourteen hundred and seeing the confirmation that oh, now it's going to rip to fifteen hundred?
3: It, it well, depends on where you accumulated. If you were accumulating when it hit two thousand, then no, you're not. You're not. You're still down right now. So it, that that actually. Uh, it, it really depends on where it averages out and the time horizon over which you're looking. A lot of the movements that we're discussing on the technical are much more short-term. Like you're not, you're not technically analyzing the next four years. You're not saying, hey, I'm going to go buy this thing and the price is going to go up. If you're long-term investing, that's much more of a dollar cost averaging strategy and that's where that comes in. So a medium to long-term time horizon, then yeah, go use that. Go do your long-term investing. Use that approach. Each of these fall into different categories, and I don't think one negates the other.
0: And do you remember, Nick, when we had that big dump on Ethereum? I don't know when it was last week, two weeks ago. And I was like, I was buying, and because it's just one of those days where basically my mentality is because again i invest in this stuff it's it's not like a trade because i have high conviction it's much easier to have high conviction in these assets we're talking about like bitcoin and ethereum like ever heard of them versus random nft project that came out last week that's why it's so much harder but think about it things went down and Kix, i remember said on the show he was like People always talk about, you know, you, you hate Ethereum when it goes down and you love it when it's at all time highs. And he he pointed out he didn't want to buy it at that time. It was a day that we were talking about how far down Ethereum went. I bought it, no hesitation, because there's no way over four years you lose money on that. And I could sell that amount that I bought that day for a quote unquote profit today, but I'm like do I want to have a taxable event on that? Like, is it worth my time to actually sell it? Or do I just keep holding this thing that I'm investing in? I mean, we got kick Spencer and Ben with their hands raised. We can wrap the show on this. We'll have at least five minutes to talk about this, but I want to hear people's perspectives. Kicks, I don't know if you heard what me and Nick were kind of going back and forth on. Do you have any thoughts on this?
2: Oh, yeah. Just John Bollinger here. Just uh, before we wrapped up, wanted to see if you guys had any more questions. I'm actually uh, chartering my yacht for the next week um, after this most recent Bollinger band squeeze. Um, yeah. So uh, it's going to keep going up. That's about it.
0: I got to love it. Ben, you have your hand raised. You're an experienced trader. What's going on?
1: Yeah, dude. I, I wanted to comment a little bit on what Gene was saying, because we did have a, a- a pretty good discussion in the chat about it. And I just wanted to give some thoughts on like what, what my typical strategy is. And again, this is not financial advice for others, just what I do. Um, But yeah, I, I DCA in very regularly. Um, You know, I have automatic buys daily, weekly and monthly at at different, um, different uh, amounts. But what I like to do is go a little bit heavier When it reaches points in technical analysis and um, news catalysts that, you know, beyond just what I'm doing in my automatic buys, I like to take um, big swings and and big chunks when it reaches levels that I feel comfortable with. And and this is something Nick and I talk often about as well. And um, something that I I haven't really seen a lot of people talking about much, but yesterday, um, the the UK um, crypto and and um like bitcoin and crypto as regulated financial instruments and i think that was um i think that was something that really contributed to the push yesterday and there was a lot of people that were short squeezed for sure and that is why things really start to take off but i think when you combine the technical analysis with news catalysts and the potential for short squeezes that's when you start to see those pushes so um I was talking with kicks yesterday. I bought a good chunk of of Ethan Matic over the past few days and specifically yesterday when I saw that that news. So I think if you're if you're just looking at charts or you're just DCAing, I think you're also missing a lot of the big moves. Because you know, you could you could buy twenty-five dollars a day here and there and, and over the long term it'll usually work out for you. But if if you're buying at these levels that you feel comfortable with and you've seen, you know, historical trends and things like that, that's when you could really capture those, you know, five to 15% squeezes.
0: Yeah, I mean, yesterday, like you just pointed out, you get the positive news event from like a government level about regulation. Then you have an environment where people are bearish, so there's a lot of shorts. And then you get that liquidity injected into the asset. You get the short squeeze that melts people's faces and you get that little pump that you can take advantage of. Love the take, Ben. Spencer, what's going on? Yeah, I think that like one thing that I would say in
7: the way that I trade this is I, I don't DCA. I just set limit orders and just wait for them to hit. Because what you see in crypto is there's like, acute movements very often both up and down so like and I, I think I was talking about this on the show like a few months like, it wasn't even a few months ago a few weeks ago I set like you know a really large limit order at 1200 hundred dollar ETH hit that limit order like wait a few weeks we're up to 1600 right now like <laughs> things are moving you know like like I think that what you can do is just pick your entry points and like this is a little bit different than DCAing because DCAing you're just buying every day but like there are days when ETH feels high, like you don't have to buy on those days. And I, I know that like kind of defeats the idea of DCAing, but it's just be, like I, my defense of this is that like, I think there's just so much volatility on ETH. Like you can be, com- I, I mean, I'm basically 100% confident that within the next 12 months, there will be at least one day where ETH just dips like 10%, 20%. And like, that's where you, I just like have limit orders set. Right. And I think that waiting to catch those dips is like, it's a waiting game and you maybe only hit it like, once a month, once a quarter. But if you just have size at like low limit orders, like things fall so quickly and like they almost always rebound in some way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, it's basically patient, sophisticated dollar cost averaging is what you're talking about. Would you say that?
7: Yeah. I also, I'm also in Gene on camp of like, I think that, that technical analysis is like astrology <laughs> at, at best. Like, it, I just, I don't see it. Get these guys off the stage.
0: <laughs> we got the technical guy. Last take of the day from, of course, Signal. No better way to wrap. Signal, what's going on?
5: Yeah, just to bring it back to, like, perhaps people in the audience who don't know how to set a limit order are just about wrapping their head around DCA. Is like, I do think uh, Gene hits it on the nail on the head. It's just like just dca just do it slowly and patiently over the course of the year because i think sometimes um like the speakers on the show are very sophisticated they're very experienced in this area and a lot of this stuff can go over people's heads and i think if people just want to participate in crypto going up um over the long term just do what gene is saying dca and like don't look back and don't look at it and you just just let crypto do what crypto is going to do over the long term so that is for like people who you know don't know how to do limit orders or set these kind of things on exchanges i
2: know know a lot of people get intimidated by uh technical analysis but i'll tell you what this fucking massive helicopter pad in my yacht uh doesn't lie about this shit working uh i'll be docking in miami on wednesday uh if anyone wants to hop on the yacht i got a big laser pointer uh (laughs) and we can just project it onto the helicopter pad frame and I'll just walk you through some Mac D curls and some Bollinger band squeezes, and you should be good to go. I'll drop you back off uh, <laughs> probably in Charleston, South Carolina uh, next Tuesday. So make sure you get work off. It's going to be a fun trip. Just let me know.
0: Gotta love it. John Bollinger hitting us with the technicals. What happened to laser pointers? Laser pointers were a thing in like 2002. I feel like people aren't using laser pointers anymore. We're bringing them back. We're doing a laser pointer focus Because we're show. sitting
9: at home.
3: Is it, like, we're all locked in our apartment ever since COVID began and now like, we've never gone back to pointing in person.
0: That's true. And if I I can't go outside right now, I'm locked in. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Hey, check out So Rare, our title sponsor. It's pinned to the top. If you want to compete head-to-head with me in basketball, because I'm one of the great basketball minds, if you think you can take me on and take on my fantasy team in basketball, you should try that. Hey, uh, just fair warning, you're going to get wrecked. Also, shout-out to a former sponsor, Virtue Animation Studios, Basement Gang, doing their mint today. Shout-out to our guy, Wags. Definitely check that out. The Initial pass performed incredibly well on the secondary market. We'll see how this one goes. We do this show Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time each and every week. The NFT Morning Show. It's also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our show in 90 minutes with the one and only big-time YouTuber, Elio Trades. It's called The Web 3 Show. It's on Twitter. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's in all the same spots. We love you guys. We love our jobs. We'll see you next time.